this year. So I'm only going to drink one Coke uh, so far this year. But uh, one of the things that's kind of exciting, and I know we do this in our own lives, and kind of we do it in the church, whether we, we like it or not, we, we kind of use this time to reset and to get the church fired up, and I've done it before, like, okay, maybe this year will be different than last year, and that type of thing, but what I'm excited about most in being here, and where we are as a church tonight is, we don't have to get fired up. You know, we have seen God do amazing things, and really, what I'm anticipating for 2024 is, how much more is God going to do? None of us, None of us really dreamed we'd be where we are right now uh, last January, but to see what God has done is great. So the last few weeks, uh, Pastor Matt, he's been preaching through Corinthians. Does anyone know the church is? Anybody remember? Messy. The church is messy, and then he spent a few weeks in in chapter 3, and and in that chapter, uh, Paul is telling them, and you can go back and read it or listen to the message Paul is telling the Christians there in that church, you guys need to grow up, okay? It's time, and he shared it Sunday, you know, I would love to teach you more, but you're still carnal, and we talked a little bit about that Sunday, and it reminded me there are other passages in the New Testament like that. One of them is Hebrews chapter 5, which says, man, you guys should be eating meat by now, but you're still on milk, same kind of thought that's in first corinthians and then the passage i'm going to use tonight and if you have your bibles you can turn there put it on your phone whatever is philippians chapter two because it seems like and sunday i said something to mike afterwards we were all kind of on the same page with the announcements with the offering with matt's preaching is now is the time now is the time for us to shine and that's what this passage, and if we're going to shine and be different, it is going to kind of, it's going to take a little bit of effort. And, and as I was studying for this passage, and I don't want to get bogged down in all the theologies, but there's Arminianism, which depends a lot on man, and there's a Calvinism, which depends a lot on good, on God in this, and, and with our salvation. And it seems like sometimes Paul flips back and forth in the passage we're going to look at. But fortunately for Paul... Arminianism and Calvinism didn't exist when he was writing this. So, But there is this thing that we need to talk about with our salvation. We know we are saved by grace, amen, through faith. And, you know, you're never going to be more holy than Christ makes you, no matter what you do. Amen? Everybody get that? Okay. But that doesn't mean we can use God's sovereignty to be lazy about our Christian life. Does that make sense? Because as, as Matt was talking Sunday, this kept coming back to me, and I didn't have an idea on Sunday I would be preaching tonight, but it just kept coming back to me, this idea that he had that, you know, there are people, and there might be people here tonight who are not genuinely saved. And there are people that are saved, and they're going to be saved, and they're never going to be more holy, and no matter how good you do at stuff, you're never going to be more holy than Jesus makes you by your actions. But there are people that are just going to kind of gimp through their Christian life and they're going to get into heaven, you know. I think he said Sunday by the skin of their teeth. And in the Bible, it says about that as one escaping the flames. And we'll know some people will like, you smell a little like smoke. You barely made it, you know. Uh, but tonight, what we're going to kind of talk about is this idea 
that he says here that sometimes is taken very, very out of context and almost heretical to work out our salvation. But his goal in the passage is in verse 15 where he says this, that we are to shine as bright lights in a perverse and crooked world. And it really hit me again just as I was going through this. When you think about it, it's pretty crazy to think that we probably have at least a thousand people in our community, surrounding area, that call this their church home. These are the best odds I've ever seen for those who call themselves Christians and living in a dark world. And this is the time for us to shine to make a true difference. And the difference isn't in how many people we're going to get here on Wednesday night or Sunday night or how much of the Bible you memorize. The difference is going to be made by how we shine in this world. And Paul's going to talk a little bit about that. He's encouraging them to step up because, listen, God desires that you be transformed. Not so you can be more saved or more holy, but by being transformed and living under the authority of God, your life is going to be awesome. How many know that? Think about when your life went bad. Had you stepped out of the umbrella of God's authority? Every time. And that's what he's saying, that as Christians, and listen, he is not talking to non-Christians in this passage. He is talking to some of the people he loved the most, and he says, God desires you now, now, not heaven. We're not saved so we get our ticket punched and we get to heaven. We're saved now to be transformed now, So that by being transformed, not only will we enjoy our life much better, we'll enjoy our family much better, we'll enjoy our community much better, but the community will come to see that God is real, that Christ makes a difference, that the Holy Spirit indwelling a person transforms them. Amen? And so that's what he's going to be talking about uh, tonight. One of my favorite people, I had my family all in. And it is a, like a nuts O family. I just, they know that. I know that. I might be one of the crazier ones in the family. And uh, we were together for a few days, and it was a lot of fun. But I'm going to tell you about really kind of, and I'll just let it out of the bag. One of my favorite people in my family is my niece, Amelia. If you don't know Amelia, she usually has about four or five girls from Hope Ranch with her. She's rather short. So she's up front, but uh, Amelia has always been, as my, my little sister and I, we had, you know, she had Hannah, we had Andrew, she tried to beat me with Amelia, and then I had to tie her with Matthew. And when they were young, they were called the Four Hobbits, and they went to every camp I could get them in, you know. But Amelia has always been kind of the athlete, um, uh, athlete among the group. Surprisingly, she's very competitive. And, uh, but her dad, Dave... Dave and I met a long, long time ago when he was in school and I was in school. And uh, Dave is a master of one-liners, Amelia's dad. He was here Sunday. Like, Dave never says goodbye on the phone. He'll say, okay, Dave, see you. And he says, in a minute. That's his sign-off on the phone. He never says goodbye, in a minute. I'm like, no, you're not going to see him. And, and he's already gone. Dave has other things. When we face criticism and that, he goes, shake it off. He's a master one-liner. And he's got a few others I will not share here. But, and, uh, but one of his, when the kids were little and when we were all playing, one of his great lines was, the girls would get whiny, or the boys would get whiny, and he would say, shine, don't whine. Now, you can imagine Amelia, she's about two inches shorter than she is now, she's a little bitty thing, about four or five years old, and she was whining about something. 
And Dave goes, Milia, shine, don't whine. He goes, she looked at him and she goes, you shine. And right back to him. So uh, she didn't feel like shining at that point. But this is kind of where we are sometimes as a church. I'm going to encourage you to shine. And you're going, no, you shine. I don't feel like shining. And, uh, but uh, Paul's letter to the Philippians, and this is his encouragement to him in chapter 2, verse 15. He tells us to shine. And that's what it's about. And we will shine brightly when we're living under the authority of Jesus Christ. And it's not a burden. It doesn't make you more holy. It doesn't make you better than anybody else. But it does make your life so much better. And it's such a great witness. And can you imagine what it would be like to have a church of this size where everybody is striving to shine like stars in the universe? That could just transform a community. That could transform a world, and it has, because the early Christians, there was a difference among them. Now, the book of Philippians, it's a lot shorter than Corinthians, and Corinthians, we know as we've been going through it, it was written, Paul had heard a report. Somebody went to Paul and narked on a lot of people in the church talking about all their misbehavior and all their sins. And the book of Corinthians, actually, probably Paul wrote four letters to the Corinthians. We, don't, we have a couple of them. But Paul writes them, and he's just trying to correct them all the time. We see that. He, it's a rough book. It's a long book, and there's a lot of problems with them, and the church was real messy. Now, the church at Philippi was kind of a different deal. Paul had started that church. He spent about three months there with them, got them going. First church in Europe, okay? Paul received the Macedonian call. He goes over there. It's Acts 15 or Acts 16, if you want to read how that started. We know the story of the Philippian jailer who was converted to Christ, him and his household. We have the story of Lydia. Those were prominent people in that church. But what happened, they developed a very, very close relationship. And he had on his staff, if they had those things at that time, there was a guy named Epaphroditus that Paul left there. Well, Paul, in the meantime, after setting up that church and after his third missionary journey, he's in jail in Rome when he writes this letter back to them. Now, I kind of wonder how whiny my letter would be if I was imprisoned. And so what they did, and, and you've probably seen the movies and know the history, that in those days, if you were in jail, it was up to your families and friends to take care of you. And if you did, had broken some relationships, I mean, it wasn't three, uh, caught in three hot meals, okay, in prison at that time. If your family didn't care, if your friends didn't care, you were pretty much toast in jail. So what the church at Philippi did is they took up a huge collection, and Epaphroditus goes from Philippi, which is in Greece, all the way to Rome to deliver this money so Paul can continue in his ministry and be taking care of his needs, okay? We would call it a love offering, okay? And we'd call Epaphroditus, that would be a short-term mission trip, okay, that he took over to them. So he receives this, and this is a letter that Paul writes back to this church, which he loves the people, and he writes this back to them. And after a heartfelt prayer at the beginning, saying, every time I think of you guys, it's with great joy. He, he, he talks about how thankful he is for them. He talks about how it's their job to be good citizens and to rise above everything else. And then in chapter 2, he talks about humility and obedience. And then he gives, and you can mark this down, chapter 2, verse 6 through 11, 
I just preached a whole chapter right there. Now, this is the first part of the chapter, then we'll get into the sermon. 6 through 11, he talks about the example of Jesus' humility and his obedience. And we know that becoming obedient, even obedience to death on the cross. And the supreme example, he says, is this obedience. Now, before I read it, uh, I want to read to you uh, a guy named Chuck Swindoll's summary of Philippians. I think it hits nail on the head here. It says this, Chuck Swindoll says this, and I think we have it there. Ready? It says, Paul's joy at the mere thought of the Philippian church is undeniable in his letter. And it is that same joy that he now wants the recipients to possess. To lead the Philippians to the truth, Paul takes them directly to Jesus, teaching them that the community of believers living in harmony with one another comes only through mutual humility modeled after the Savior. Paul wrote that he poured out his life as an offering for the sake of Christ, leading Paul to find great joy and contentment in Christ's service. See, there is great joy and freedom living in under the authority of Christ. Listen, people say, oh, I don't want to be, I want to make my own way. You are a slave to something right now, every one of you. You're either a slave to your own flesh, you're either a slave to your own way of thinking, or you're a slave to this world, or you're a slave to someone else, or you're a slave to Christ. I am telling you, in submission to Christ, you will find joy. And it is with great joy, it says, Paul, to find great joy and contentment in Christ's service, his letter to the Philippians showed them by centering their lives on Christ, and there's the key. Center your life on Christ. They, too, might live with true joy. Okay? So, let's read now a few verses here. Chapter 2, starting in verse 12. And remember, there's two things to remember. This is written to believers. It's not written to non-Christians. And number two, he had just finished talking about the great example of Jesus being humble being found, being the very nature of God, lowered himself to be the nature of man, and even becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And because of that, every knee, every tongue will confess that he is Lord. So he just finished that, and now he turns back to them. He says this, verse 12, chapter 2. Dear friends, this is out of the NLT, which I'm growing a great appreciation for because it's a lot easier to read. Dear friends, You've always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation. A lot of translations have that passage as saying, work out your salvation, which they're already saved. Do you know you can't do anything to work out your salvation? You can't add anything to perfection. No matter how good you are, you'll never be more holy than you are holy in Jesus Christ by your faith and by his grace. Amen? Amen. All right, so he can't be talking about get yourself saved. All right? But he says, I love it because it says, work out the results of your salvation, obeying God in deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. That's where it sounds like Paul is like flip-flopping and all us, you know, theologians are going, was he a Calvinist? Is he an Arminian? And Paul in one verse is saying, work on your salvation. The other one's saying, it's God that does everything in you. Are they true? Yes. Okay? But he didn't have 2,000 years of our garbage and our trying to understand and our confusion, you know. But he says this. He says, all right, now verse 14. 
Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in the world full of crooked and perverse people. Now we can all agree that the world is full of crooked and perverse people, right? Fortunately, none of them are here tonight, right? Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run my race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share that joy with you. Okay, so tonight's call, tonight's message is about shining. It's time for us to shine. But tonight's call is not to do better, to be more holy. Remember, you can't be more holy than you already are. But you have that holiness in you, that spirit in you that, that it says it's a, you are sealed with the spirit, that guaranteeing deposit. But it does say what is in you, you need to work out. Some of you might have that light, but boy, it's under a bushel, and, you know, or it's, it's way down in there, and it's barely flickering. And he's saying, what is in you, you need to work out so it can be displayed for the world. And how do we do that? Living under the authority of Christ in every moment of our lives. It says that we need to, and I, and I have here, I have my glasses, I know where they are. I like how it says in the NIV, it says here in verse 12, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed in my presence, now how much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Okay, when we hear work out, there's a couple different words in the Greek that, but the, the word here to work out actually means to submit yourself to, to really submit to Christ. So this idea of working out is, here it is, if you really want to have Christ shining in you, if you want to be a person that shines for him, here's it, it's this simple. It means total surrender to Christ. Going back to my family being here last weekend, there are, who pushes you the most to be unchristlike? Say John's family. Okay, that's my answer, right? And, and I, it, is, it is sometimes a struggle, and, and it's around the people we love the most and in, in your family. Laura would tell you it's probably not me that pushes her buttons the most. And I always tell you, you know, when I push your buttons, what does that tell you? You have buttons. All right, uh, so, and it's the same for me. But this idea here, and this is where he's talking about, is that we need to totally submit ourselves to the authority of Christ. Paul says it, he said it in Corinthians, taking every thought captive for Christ talking about every desire for Christ, your purpose is Christ, is feeling yourself, feeling yourself with Christ so much that everything, every thought is captive. Can you imagine that? Does that seem a little bit of an impossibility? It would be, but in verse 13 it says it's God who does that work in you. And God has that power to accomplish that. So it's really not you. God is doing it in you. But there is this idea of there's this on our part as men and women who are in Christ, who are saved, who are never going to be more holy. There is a call for us to surrender on a daily basis 
to Christ and to his authority. Every thought, every instinct, every, you know, every, you know, motivation you have has to submit to him. And it, and remember, what's the context? He had just told us that Jesus even submitted to death on a cross. Jesus wasn't more holy because he submitted to death on a cross. But by his submission to death on the cross, we have salvation. And I just want to propose to you, by us submitting ourselves to Christ, by living under that umbrella of his authority, people will notice that. Because we have unintentionally probably inherited a kind of perverted form of Christianity in America. You know that? That it's really a lot about just going to church and being a good boy. And most of you can probably do it a couple hours or fake it for a couple hours, right? I mean, there are people, it's like, I've met in Sullivan, like, I didn't know you went to church, you know. Man, I hope no one says that about me, you know, but they probably do. They've probably seen me some places. But the idea here is a submission to Christ. You know, and, and that idea of working it out means this. It is to bring to the surface the real thing that is inside of you. It's almost like sometimes I, and, and I used to be an athlete, okay? And since I was an athlete in Europe, no one would really know if it's true or not. So, but because Christ, I'm under his authority, I speak the truth to you. So, I, you know, in athletes, you have these coaches, and there are some coaches there. And, you know, we can think of teachers. We can think of motivators. You can maybe think of a spiritual mentor. There are some people that just have that knack of being able to get out of you everything that is in you, right? And, and that's what he's talking about here is this idea to work out is to bring out that real potential in you. And if here it is. Ready? Every one of you that knows Christ and have submitted to him and have given your life to him and you are saved by his grace, who is really in you? The spirit of Christ is in you. So you have something in there that's incredible potential. You're more than a five-star athlete. And, and that's what he's saying. You need to work that out. You need to bring what is in there that it says in Ephesians that we are now God's workmanship. We were objects of his wrath and chaos, and then God formed us together. And now, and now we are his workmanship. And he says, let's bring that out to the light, right? You've seen it. You've seen people. You think, man, you got a lot more potential than you're living up to, okay? You've seen other people. It's like, man, you're living way above your potential. Good job. That must be God working in you to do that. But that's his idea here. Now, some other passage, another passage comes to mind, and I think we need to be reminded of this. I know that I am a broken person, right? We talk about that. We are broken people, poor broken people. We should never think that any, any, any amount of our righteousness is due to anything we've done. But I like this, and, and I'm, I'm going to hit it and jump off of it because it's 1 Corinthians, but it's chapter 6 and the miniseries in chapter 3 and everything else. We won't be there for a couple months, I guarantee you. All right? But in chapter 6, I love this when he's talking to the Corinthians. He says this in chapter 6, verses 9 to 11. Do you not realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Okay? Again, he's talking to Christians and Matt touched on this Sunday, that kingdom of God, you remember what we're supposed to be, what are we supposed to be praying every day? Anybody? Yeah. 
Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let God's kingdom reign. You're never going to have God reigning unless you submit to Christ. That kingdom's never really going to come into your life unless you welcome it. He says, don't fool yourselves. Those who indulge in sinful nature are who worship idols and commit adultery are, are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or thieves or greedy people. Man, I'd rather talk about those sexually immoral people than thieves and greedy people because we're not greedy as a nation, are we? Or drunkards or abusive or cheap people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look what he says here. This is some good news. Some of you were once like that. But look at the verbs he uses here. Look at him. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God. How? By calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God our Father. Now, that is really, we need to, we need to latch on to that. That is who you are. Good, good Father, that is who you are. But I'm telling you, if you are in Christ, you are no longer labeled by all those things you did. Don't ever forget that. That you are holy, you are made right with God, you've been cleansed, it says you've been justified. That is who you are now. So don't tell me, well, I just can't do it. No, you can because God has already done it. All right? Now, here's my favorite part of the sermon. We talk about working out our salvation. We, you know, we want to be more spirit. How many of you think I would I want to be less carnal and a little more spiritual? Anybody? Well, you better, okay? Maybe you're too. We should be wanting that. How many of us say, I just need to be a little more carnal? Okay? I got enough. I don't need to worry about that. I want to be a little more spiritual. Okay? And so what we do, and this again, kind of what we've grown up with, well, to be more spiritual, here's what I got. I got to read a little bit more of the Bible. I'm not saying these things are bad things, okay? I, I, I need to pray a little bit more. I got to change hell to heck when I'm talking about when I'm working and this to that and that and you know the rest of them. Okay, I got to clean up the language. All right. All right. I, you know, I, you know, and those are, I'm not saying those are bad things, but sometimes we really spiritualize it so much. Because in this next verse, in verse 14, he's going to tell us here's what it kind of looks like if you're going to be a more spiritual person. And it's so short, and, and the verse is so complex. In the Greek, it's so easy to understand. I think it might be that easy even in English. Look at verse 14. He's talking about this. What is the evidence of this God energy work in you? We might think, oh, he, just, he, just, he quotes strip scripture all day long. He's just so easygoing. You know, he just prays all the time. Ready? You want to be more spiritual? Ready? Do everything without complaining and arguing. Man, I wanted it to be more sinister. I wanted it to be about like lust and sexual immorality and, and you know, all those things that I ain't got. Okay? All you know, the, the horrible things. But we live in a nation, it is a right. It's in the Bill of Rights we have a right to complain, you know. We have so many rights. We have a right to bear arms and complain. You know, okay, now don't get on me. He's gone. Oh, he's gone woke. Uh, no, all right? But I'm saying, how many are a little more hit by the fact that you're supposed to not complain 
about anything or be argumentative. Okay? Anyone deal with that a little bit more than some of the other things? Whoo! I mean, we, I would love it to just be much more spiritual than that. But it's kind of funny. He says that word for uh, complaining is a word. This is exactly how the Greek said it, okay? Gongamos. Everybody say gongamos. Okay. Oh, boy. Now we're speaking in different languages. But <laughs> we get our word gong from that word. Big fat Greek wedding. I can trace every word back to it. Yeah, okay. All right. The word gong, the word is onomatopoeia, which means it sounds like, a, like mom, you know, or whatever. Or it, it, but the, the idea is murmuring. The idea is grumbling. And Tony and I were just on a drive down to the great county of Crawford a few minutes ago, and I was, I was looking at some things, and I, I, I think, what was Israel's biggest sin in the desert? grumbling you know how many times they grumbled there are 14 different times it points out they were grumbling and god let them get away with it five times after the fifth time he started knocking a few people off (laughs) there started being some pestilence the earth was opened up there was a little bit of fire he just all right i'm tired of it and five different times after the first five when god begins to discipline him Five times Moses intercedes for them because God's, I'm tired of it. You know when the grumbling stopped? It's kind of interesting. The grumbling stopped after he made the snake on the stick and they looked to it and by their faith they were saved because they had to look away from the snakes and look to the stick, which Jesus says, in the same way the snake was lifted in the desert, I will be lifted up. Kind of interesting. But this grumbling and bumbling and mumbling and murmuring. Chuchute in French, same thing, chuchute. You know, the idea is it's not very spiritual if you're a whiner. So shine, don't whine, and don't say you shine, okay? (laughs) We're all supposed to shine. He says, Listen, if you want to be a spiritual person, if you want to live under the authority of Christ, it's easy to point out all the big sins that we look at, but he's telling us, let's take care of something that really would make a difference. What would it be like? Blake, ready? Wonder Boy, see if you got... No, no, we're not ready to go. I'm asking you just a personal question. I am not. No, no. Way to be ready, though. I like the preparedness. Boy Scout. Whatever. What would it be like, Blake? If there were a thousand people at this church and what we were known for is, man, the people who go to the ridge, they never complain and they never argue. <clears throat> How mind-blowing that would be. I'm not talking just with each other. I'm just talking when you get bad service at, at, at some restaurant. I am the king. Serve me. A girl maybe lost her mom or dad or, you know, her, her man left her or her kid sick in the hospital. And it's like, well, that shouldn't have anything to do with me getting a second glass of sweet tea. I'm going to cut her tip. Okay? What if we was all the time were people that never complained? They said, I love to wait in lines. See? <laughs> carnal, you heathen carnal people. <laughs> That's what Paul's saying. It it is much simpler. I think we've made it so difficult and we try to spiritualize Christianity. You know, then we 
We, we drive out after we gave her three bucks because we're mad at her and we had a hundred dollar bill and we, you know, we don't tip her because she should have waited on me better and all this. Drive away and then we have Jeremiah 11 or Philippians 3:14 on our car and, you know, all these little things and aren't we Christians and, you know, we, we, we don't need to go through that. Understand this. Being spiritual is a lot simpler than sometimes we make it. It would mean so much more to this community if every time they ran into any one of us. And man, we, I, almost, I, I need to wear the ridge. We're almost cultish. We all have the ridge on. I see it everywhere. I mean, it's just like we have it on our cars. We have it on our sweatshirts. We have it on our hats. And if you can't get them, they'll be available at the merch table. All right. Okay. We do that all, but man, you have a responsibility. Not because you wear their name Ridge, but you wear the name Christ. What would happen? It's that simple. He says, do everything without murmuring, without arguing. Okay? And then he goes on in verse 15. He says this. Let me get back to my text. Verse 15. So that no one can criticize you. You live clean lives, innocent lives, children of God shining bright in a world full of crooked, crooked and perverse people. He uses three words to describe Christians there. You'll be blameless, okay? You'll be innocent, and you'll be without blemish. Okay? Does that mean by how you act it saves you and makes you blameless? He goes, no, that's what's already on the inside. He's saying if we would only live up to brothers and sisters in 2024, if we'd only live up to what really is a possibility within us, and it's possible because of this, because it's God, the word is, energizes you with his power to do it. It's not impossible to live a life without complaining and arguing, to live a life where you're never at fault for causing all the drama. Again, back to my family, I know exactly what buttons to push with everybody. And somewhere the devilish eight-year-old comes out and says, you know, and I push it, you know, and it's just, why is that? But we need to understand, what if... In 2024, we didn't say, oh, we're going to go around and act like we're holier and better and everything else, but we're going to go, they're going to see Christ really does make a difference. He has made a difference in my life. He has infused me with his power. It is God's desire that we live a blameless, faultless life so no one can criticize us, but we'll shine like stars in the universe. Now, Going on to just the last part of this. The results of shining, he says, you will hold out the word of life. I love the word hold out there because it's this idea in the next chapter. He says this in chapter 3 of Philippians in verse 12. He goes, I reach out holding on to Christ for that which he has grabbed hold of me. There's a joint effort there. You know, if you're, you've seen the thing where the guy falls off the cliff. You know, the guy reaches down and grabs hold, and then that you grab hold. Why has Christ gra- grabbed hold of you? To pull you out of that. But you've got to grab hold too. And he goes, I take hold of Christ for what he has taken hold for me. And he wants to pull us out. And he says, when we hold out the word of life, it's, we don't just throw it out there. We hold it out 
holding on to it, but holding it out. Jesus said it this way. If you have a light, you don't hide it under a bushel, but you put it on a table, holding it out so everyone else will see it. Not so they'll come to church, not so they'll think we're holy, but they will see God's work is a reality. I knew them when. I knew them there, but there is something different about them. There's something about them that it's really different. There's an energy. There's a presence. There's a feeling. There's the sense of love. Every time they walk into the room, we make the room much better. Not because of who we are, but we're the perfume of Christ. Because he is what is in us, and we need to work that out. Closing it up here. Not yet. Be ready, though. Living under the authority of Christ brings joy for the believer. Paul's able to say this, and I love this. When Matt and I first started talking, we both said, we don't want memorials. We don't want statues. We don't want any kind of in memory of. Because we know even if people, everybody that would do that, you're all probably going to be dead in 50 years anyway, and no one's going to care. We went through family pictures. Oh, I don't know who that is. I don't know who that is. You know, when my sister brought the pictures up, she's tired of holding them all because none of us know them. They're all a bunch of old people. And I said, hey, you know, our grandkids are going to be doing this with our pictures of us, but they'll be in the cloud. And Kat said, we'll erase the cloud. So anyway, (laughs) thank you. (laughs) You know, the the, the idea, though, we don't care. The legacy we are going to leave is in the generation coming up. Passing on the faith. And I don't know where it came from. I can trace my legacy back two or three generations, and, and I never met the lady. There's a lady named Dixie in a, a junior high in California, Long Beach, California, that taught Bible class, and that's where my mom was saved. And it changed the legacy of our family. I'll meet her when I get to heaven. I don't know anything about her except there was a faithful lady that went and taught junior hires. Hallelujah. She probably got a high, big place in heaven if there's any kind, you know. But because of that, my mom and dad became Christians, and it changed the trajectory of my family. But when we get to heaven, we're going to be able to trace it all the back. And your legacy, you won't know who your legacy is by living and being a bright light now. It's kind of funny. Paul says, I'm able to do this ministry, and my ministry is not in vain because of you, by seeing what you're doing. And he says, you're a part of it because of your faith. Now, what's he talking about? Faith. Ding, ding, ding. He's talking about their faith was real. It was so real, they gave a big offering to him. He says, I'm able to pursue this and do this because of what you guys have done. And Paul was able to write this letter because some Philippians said, you know what? We need to send our old pastor a little bit of money. He's in jail and he needs some food and he needs some probably writing utensils. He needs some money to do that. And because of their gift, their legacy might be the letter of Philippians. And he says, we'll rejoice. I'm going to tell you this, and this is what I'm going to end with. As we shine for Christ, living under the umbrella of his authority, by just letting God, what God has begun in you, we work it to the outside in the simplest of ways. We will leave a legacy far beyond what we can ever ask or imagine. In the lives of your kids, your grandkids, your, your neighborhood, this community is going to be transformed because of the legacy that we leave. How do we do this? Now you can come. Boom. Ready? Now, I told you I'd give you a quiet segue that no one would notice. All right? First of all, I think I want to remind you again to keep up with what Matt challenged us to do. 
Pray the Lord's Prayer. Pray that God's kingdom be born in you every day. That every day you submit to being under the authority of your King, of your Lord and Savior. Thank God He's your Savior. Now make Him your Lord. Your life will go much better. Dive into His Word. People have died so we could have copies of this. Tyndale died, martyred. That wasn't enough. Later on, they dug up his bones and burned him again just so we could have a copy of the Word of God in English. There's been sacrifices to get us to where we are. Dive into the Word of God. Serve. Dennis, Dennis Russell, I wouldn't know Dennis except we stand out there and thank God we've been praying for warm weather. Now that we're off duty, let the snow come. Um, man, getting to know Jim and some of those guys Sunday morning serving together. It's great, isn't it? Parking guys, aren't they great? Yeah, amen, yeah. We were hated a couple weeks, but now they love us, you know. But, I mean, it's just serving together. Getting to, I, we get to pray together before and pray for every car that comes in, and we know that ours is the first face that people are going to see. And I think it's important for us to serve our church and then get yourself equipped because in you is something that is unbelievable. God has guaranteed in you, he has created you with a purpose, he's created you with a talent, he's given you his Holy Spirit, and God desires you to work that out. Serve, not only in the church, be equipped to serve in this community, to be able to share your faith in a way, in a world that we didn't grow up in. We can't say any, anywhere, Mike was talking about doing ministry for a few years. I was at the end of the line when I started in ministry to be able to say, well, the Bible says this, and people cared. We live in a culture they don't care about the Bible. They don't think the Bible's the Word of God. They don't think the Bible is anything but a bunch of old white Jewish guys that put it together or old white Christian guys. That's why it's important to be discipled. That's one way that you work out your salvation. I know it is time to shine. And I can't wait to see where we are way, way in the future in 2025 but it's time for us to shine not so we're looked to but so Christ is glorified we shine so he is glorified people will come to him they'll end addictions they'll end broken relationships they'll end living a life meaningless because we have chosen to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's stand and pray, and then we'll sing together, all right? Father, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here. Father, I pray tonight would be a night that as we, it gives us a good chance on a new year to say I'm going to shine like never before. I thank you that we are shining now. The community already has been awakened by what you have done this year in this body. Father, but I pray it's only the beginning. Father, I pray that tonight from here we would go out. We'd shine in our families. We'd shine with our friends. We'd shine at work. Father, they would see that you do make a difference. It's not about going to church. It's not about being forgiven for the past, but it's about living a full, abundant life now under the authority of Jesus Christ. We thank you and we pray these things in his name. Amen.